0: Support comes from Kenmore Air, offering escapes to the beautiful San Juan Islands this spring. Convenient daily 45-minute flights to San Juan Island, Orcas, and Lopez Islands from only $169 per person one way. Bookings available now at KenmoreAir.com.
1: Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm your host, Bill Radke. Here's one way to decriminalize drugs. Don't have your votes lined up. We'll talk about that. We'll also catch you up on the guns and the trees and maybe the chimpanzees as we discuss what happened this week and what it means with my panel, Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callinan. Hi, Brian.
2: Hey, good to be here, Bill.
1: Publicola co-founder and publisher Erica Barnett. Welcome back, Erica. Thanks, Bill. And KOW Politics reporter David Hyde. Thanks for coming, David. Thanks, Bill. And you can watch this show. You can stream it on YouTube and Facebook. So why not? Let's begin with our first topic of the week. As we've been telling you for two years, our state felony drug possession law got overturned in court Suddenly you couldn't be convicted just for having an illegal drug. Our state legislature responded with a quick fix. They temporarily made possession a misdemeanor until they worked out a new law that includes addiction treatment and diverting people away from prison. And the lawmakers spent an entire legislative session working on this. And in the final hours of the session, Sunday night, KUOW's Olympia correspondent Jeannie Lindsay watched as the majority Democrats realized they didn't have the votes to pass their compromise bill. For how much
3: lawmakers negotiated that, how much they talked about it, how much folks have said this has to be addressed this year, for it to not pass on, in the <coughs> final hours of the session was pretty shocking. You know I was up in the house uh, on on the floor watching the vote happen, and I had to consciously remind myself to close my mouth because it was nothing short of jaw dropping to <laughs> witness
1: jaw dropping Brian, why did they not have the votes
2: it 's a great question, Bill. Thank I think this you. went back and forth, so. Uh, So much during the session here that originally we saw in the House that they wanted a misdemeanor, went over to the Senate. It became this gross misdemeanor. The House said, nope, we're going to make this misdemeanor. And that's where the acrimony really started here. And so I think with this push to, OK, we're going to make this a gross misdemeanor. It was a last second type deal. They really didn't get this legislation, this new version in their hands until Saturday night late. And so it was this kind of 24 hour turnaround or less. And the interesting thing to me was the Democrats were not there. 15 Democrats did not vote for this. And three Republicans who actually supported that gross misdemeanor beforehand, the first time around, they didn't support it the second time around. So this got really confusing really quickly. So it just didn't add up with any of the votes. And we heard it from Governor Inslee on Sunday. He said we didn't have the votes. And that's why he's, he, I don't. he hasn't pushed for this special session just yet, in my opinion, because I don't think that he knows that he has the votes just yet or the Democrats have the votes just yet to push this through. So I I think that's the big, big test ahead here.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, this is a really interesting situation because if the uh if the legislature doesn't come back in special session and doesn't pass some kind of law, we could be facing a patchwork of local laws. i already a lot of, you know, local cities in King County are proposing laws. De, Des Moines, um, Kent um have proposed laws that would uh turn it into a gross misdemeanor um and do other things. Uh Des Moines wants to, the mayor wants to um uh, make, uh, paraphernalia illegal, mm, right. you know, stuff like that. So real kind of returning to the drug war Paraphernalia like
1: the foil that you Well, that's the st-
3: thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very kind of drug war mentality and a very, I don't know, 90s mentality when you're thinking of like, you know, quote unquote crack pipes or, mm. you know, meth pipes, things like that. But yeah, I mean, how do you make foil illegal? How do you make lighters illegal? So there's just, um, there's a lot of sort of panic um, in cities and um, that's happening right now. I mean, I, I hope that they will figure out a way to at least extend the existence Existing law, So we don't have this situation where there's just sort of chaos and, you know, this, you know, city by city uh, passage of laws that are, are going to be different in every city.
1: Let, let me ask about chaos, because we're used to laws being different in, from one city to another. So what is so zany and chaotic about that?
4: Well, I mean, if it's a hodgepodge, Eric is getting at it. Um, You know, if you've got uh, Democrats who are concerned about it being a misdemeanor, let alone a gross misdemeanor, what do you think is going to happen in, like, Republic or other parts of the state when it it becomes this hodgepodge? If you don't want the
1: war on drugs, you're going to get the war on drugs on steroids. Okay, so it's uh, not really a chaos problem. It's just that you would like the state to reduce— the penalizing, and, and this is allowing yeah. some places to up the penalty.
4: Well, there's also a political problem on top of that. I think, obviously, for Democrats, Republicans are making hay already off of this, you know, um, basically suggesting that, like, all, all, all the entire drug crisis can now be kind of blamed mm. on Democrats. And so that's part of the reason why Governor Inslee and Democrats want to get back into special session, is to do something about that political problem.
2: I just I think about, though, you look down in Oregon where they actually passed a measure in 2020 voters did to say, all right, small amounts of any type of drug, basically, you know, we're not going to prosecute for that. So they decriminalized a a good good portion of them. And I'm I think the jury's still out on that. And so that are we going to full decriminalization? Washington State clearly isn't ready for that. I think we saw that in the legislature, but. I do think a lot of people are keeping an eye on what 's going on what 's going on in Oregon right now as this happens because with that low level decriminalization they 've helped tens of thousands of people from what I understand but It is one of these situations where they haven't figured out a way to actually deliver these services properly, so they have seen overdose deaths actually rise in Oregon. So the actual problem they were trying to solve, did it solve it in Oregon? I'm not quite sure, but I think this is part of the discussion, too, part of the background on this.
4: And and it's been a political problem for Democrats down in Oregon, and it's not clear to me that that same law would necessarily pass today. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: You know, back in in Seattle, I, I thought it was really interesting. There was an announcement yesterday um, from Ann Davison, city attorney, and two city council members um, that they're going to try to make p- public possession of drugs illegal. Or, sorry, public, not possession, but public use of drugs illegal. And that is uh, regardless of what happens at the state level. What was really notable to me about that is that they did not propose anything uh, about uh, possession of drugs, which they could have. Reagan-Dunn, King County Council a um, Republican, has proposed uh, making possession of drugs illegal in King County. Um, Ann Davison, the Republican city attorney, has not proposed that. And I think that, you know... This this uh, this idea of uh, recriminalizing public use of drugs is more symbolic than it is um, something that's going to be actually impactful. I think it's a way of the city saying we're going to, you know, quote unquote, do something about this. We're not going to be soft on crime. But in reality, I mean, it, we gonna enforce only...
1: that. right? What's that? The city was not wouldn't enforce that, would they?
3: Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, they the the idea is, oh, we're giving SPD all these new tools um, you know, by by giving them the authority to essentially go out and arrest people for using fentanyl in public. But, of course, that, that can't happen <laughs> on a massive scale because, first of all, SPD is down 30 percent from where they say they want to be. Um, and purportedly, there, there, there's an announcement a couple weeks ago that they're going to be focusing on trafficking and on high-level drug dealing. So you're not going to see SPD out there, I don't think, you know, cracking down on people who are just bent over, you know, on the sidewalk – nor is there space in the jail to accommodate people. Um, I mean, we're not arresting and we're not prosecuting for these misdemeanors now, and that's yeah. not gonna change just because you know Ann Davison made an announcement. And I think, I think that everybody making that announcement was is well aware of that.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was interesting to see Mayor Harrell's response. We got a three-paragraph, nearly 300-word response, none of which said what he was gonna do. Would he be support <laughs> this or would he be against it? And I think that's the heart of the political tension both in the city of Seattle and at the state level, um, you know, b- because because they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't, to some extent. Yeah. Uh, Harrell used the same language we heard progressive Democrats in Olympia talking about. He doesn't want to recreate the war on drugs because war on drugs, that's Richard Nixon, that's bad. Uh, you know, it led to some terrible consequences. On the other hand, he's got this trio of Seattle political leaders saying, you know, here's where we should draw the line in the sand. It's not OK to, you know, smoke fentanyl in public places, on buses or wherever. It's You know, you can't shoot up in public. Uh, this is where the mayor, you know, really needs to act. And I'm sure the mayor's got voices you know, in the other side of his ear, basically saying, yeah, you need to you need to do this because you talked about cleaning up downtown. Yeah. You talked about revitalizing ta- downtown. So it'd be really interesting to see, you know, if the mayor does have to make a decision, well, of course which he's side, which side it, he's on. Yeah.
3: If, it's, if it comes down to yes or no, of course, he's going to say yes.
2: But I got to say, in terms of actually bringing it to the point where it actually becomes a city ordinance, I mean, that's that's the issue here. That's the process that has to go forward. And I read a little bit about this. Lisa Herbold, who's the head of the public safety committee, said she's no, on the city council. Exactly she she's not gonna she's not gonna entertain this idea. She said we're gonna wait. The state's gonna figure this out. You know, let's 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 kind of pump the brakes on what's going on here. And I guess uh, also this was a situation where Davison and we saw council members Peterson and also um, shoot uh, Nelson. 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 Excuse me. Yes, uh, were there as well. They didn't really consult the police department in coming up with this new idea for huh. this law. And I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, it's it's it, it feels like a little bit of a show in some ways to come out and say these types of things, knowing that uh, counsel, that – uh, I, I don't know if they have the full council to support to do something like this. And I don't know if they have police support either, because in terms of the tools they need, is this something they really need? Would this help them in some way? I, I'm not sure about that.
3: Oh, I think I think that if it actually you know comes down to it, my and, and I'm terrible at predictions, but my yeah. prediction is that this will pass mm. um, in part mm. because it is not terrifically impactful. Hmm. That sp- helps. <laughs> that helps pass things. right
4: but right. with uh, Allison Holcomb about it, a yeah. uh, big you know drug ACLU. reformer, ACLU. She's basically a, a big reason why we've got legal recreational weed in Washington State. Yep, yep. Um, and she said, why not make it um, – it's a class three civil infraction, basically like a ticket, and then basically tell people, look, we're also going to confiscate your drugs. And if you're suffering from – you know, addiction to fentanyl or whatever it is, the last thing you want is for somebody to confiscate your drugs. So in a weird way, that wouldn't be symbolic, even though we're talking about kind of visible It wouldn't be helpful either. Mm. Well, that's a secondary question. But, um, you know, I'm wondering if that's the route that the council might end up taking, so just because I'm hearing it from Alison Holcomb. Yeah. You know, there's something less than a misdemeanor that they could do. And right now, you know, they could be confiscating people's drugs if yeah. they wanted to.
2: I-, I wonder if the lesson up, uh, Bellingham has this public use law in place. And I'm wondering uh, what's going on up there and what impact is it having? Because, uh, yeah, it, there's something that I, I just feel like more work needs to go into a, a process like this to, to to figure out how a law like this would impact our city.
3: Yeah. And I think it's just saying what, what all of us, I think, um, in Seattle probably agree to, which is that, you know, it's not good to have people smoking fentanyl on buses. It doesn't, you know, just for one example, it doesn't improve transit ridership. People don't want to be on the buses. So, yeah. Like, but it but it doesn't present a solution to that problem, really. And I don't think that the idea of snatching people's drugs um, and as a punishment is going to solve anything either. It's it's not what inspires people to get into treatment. But uh, but, you know, I mean, I I think this is largely a symbolic.
4: So
1: will there be a patchwork of laws or is the state just going
2: to go into a special session and fix this sooner than anything would have changed anyway? if I had to predict, I'd say a special session is happening in May. And it's just so much egg on the face of the state legislature and the governor, for that matter, that I I really think that they're going to push to do it. However, what's it going to take to get the votes they need? I'm not sure. But I I really anticipate a special session happening.
4: Yeah. And supposedly, what is it like Senate Senate Democrats kind of want to cut a deal with the Republicans, House Democrats, you know, they've they've got some issues because they voted against it. So who's going to end up compromising um, we don't know we know they probably have a special session but are they actually going to find a way to agree on this when they, when there's that sort of war on drugs tension I think at the heart of the Democratic
2: Party over this issue you had me at they've got some issues that's, that's well,
1: definitely would they even call a special session before knowing they have the votes for exactly what they know they're going to do
2: I don't think so I mean it would be a, a pretty short special session right I mean, if they knew that they had well, the votes but I I think that's the that's what's going on behind the scenes right now it has okay. to be yeah. uh, in, in different chambers in Olympia
3: is there real quick is there a possibility that they will just just extend the existing law? I mean, would that be, you know, kick, it, kick the can down the road another year or two?
2: I guess, but I, that would still require a special session to go into place to make that happen. Right. So yeah, I, but that's a possibility. I, I hadn't thought that one through, but I think that's, uh, I, I don't know, from from what I've heard from law enforcement, from people to, who do treatment, et cetera, nobody really likes the situation that's going on right now. It's just, it's not helping people. And uh, yeah, I think it, something needs to change. Okay, do we cover drug laws for now? I think take we a break. It. Yeah.
1: Okay, that's just the beginning of KOW's week in review this week. Let's take a break and get back with something that the legislature did accomplish, and then here come the lawsuits. Stay tuned.
0: Support comes from Kenmore Air, offering escapes to the beautiful San Juan Islands this spring. Convenient daily forty-five minute flights to San Juan Island, Orcas, and Lopez Islands from only one hundred sixty-nine dollars per person one way. Bookings available now at KenmoreAir.com. Support comes from Pacific Science Center, celebrating spring at Paxi with butterflies at the Tropical Butterfly House, sea creatures in the saltwater tide pool, and Jane Goodall, Reasons for Hope at the IMAX Theater, a journey around the globe to share good news stories. Learn more at Paxi.org.
1: We're catching you up on the week gone by on KOW's Week in Review. We have Publicola co-founder and publisher Erica Barnett, KOW politics reporter David Hyde, and Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan. We were just talking about what the legislature did not do, but uh, here's something that did happen. As we've told you, Washington State banned the sale, manufacture, and importation of a bunch of semi-automatic guns, including AR-15s and AK-47s. No one
0: needs an AR-15 to protect your family. You only need it to kill other families. And for that reason, we are taking action today.
1: That was your governor, of course. Immediately, the Second Amendment Foundation and other groups sued to get the ban overturned. But several states banned these guns. Their bans haven't been overturned yet. David, what makes gun rights advocates think that's going to change? Yeah.
4: uh, So there's three groups suing. The NRA, this other group that I hadn't heard of before, the Silent Majority Mm Foundation— Uh, and as you say, the Second Amendment Foundation that we're all familiar with here, they're Bellevue-based. I took, spoke with um, Dave Workman about that, who told me that uh, some people like to shoot coyotes with their AK-47s. Right. Uh, but he uh, he actually thinks that this recent U.S. Supreme Court decision from 2021... The what, Bruin the case. The Bruin case, yeah. The R-U-E-N. Right. Uh, Clarence Thomas wrote the majority opinion for that one. And what it says is that if the government wants to pass laws regulating guns... They must uh, um, basically be consistent with gun regulations uh, that existed at the time that—not the Bill of Rights, but that amendments to the Constitution were originally written. So in this case, the Second and the Fourteenth Amendment. So to to make that more clear— Gun regulations from the 17 and the 1800s, all 20th century gun regulations would be sort of out the window. This is the new bar, according to the, according to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I did speak to a law professor yesterday, um, Adam Winkler, I think his name is, who was who was walking me through some of that. And so that's the question. I think maybe is is there anything in this law that's consistent with 19th century uh, gun regulations or Uh, you know, 18th century gun regulations. I asked Bob Ferguson, Attorney General Bob Ferguson, who said he's going to defend this in court. He's been successful in all of his lawsuits that have been brought by the Second Amendment Foundation and the the NRA in the past. You you know, he's confident that he's going to win this one. But he didn't answer my question about, you know, is this consistent with, uh, you know, ancient, it's not ancient,
2: but (laughs) 19th century gun laws. I got it. I don't I am not a legal scholar, David, but I, I've heard some different opinions. But you play on this one, one on the radio. Yeah, right, right. I play one on TV. Uh, it's one of these situations where I think both sides are interpreting the Bruin decision in a different way. You've got the Second Amendment folks saying, see you got to base it back in this part of history, but I think you'll see from some of the people who uh, support gun control, they're saying, okay, historical precedent, that means, and they've opened it up, I think, in some different ways, such that they believe that they would have a good case here, even with the Bruin uh, situation involved. And and I think there's some nuances to the legal case that, again, I don't know all, all the details of it. I think it'll be a very interesting fight that we're going to see at the state and potentially national level here, if it does go to the Supreme Court, and I anticipate that it might, but uh, yeah, I know Bob Ferguson feels very confident about this one, and like you say, he hasn't lost before to the NRA.
3: Yeah, this one, this is not a story I have covered. I've been relying on your coverage, David. But um, I, uh, I do want to go back to the coyotes. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so yes, I mean, yes, the, you, the, you do. The, you know, as as the you're, governor, as a coyote
4: hunter yourself. As yeah, the,
3: as, you know, <laughs> as the governor um, said in his you know sort of inimitable worked up way, um, you know. Just to paraphrase, why does anyone think that they need these guns? And I, I think that there's, you know, there's an I, I you know, come from a, a gun family um, and I have uh, shot an AR-15. Um wow. And I do not think anybody needs these guns. And I think that, you know, people, uh, th- there's a really interesting interview uh, that Terry Gross did uh, with the Washington Post reporter uh, last week or this week um, about the history of the AR-15 and kind of how it was marketed. You know, originally, the gun lobby really didn't like it um, because it's not it's not good for hunting. It's not good for defending yourself in your house. You know, you might want a handgun for that and a rifle for hunting. Um, but, you know, there is this kind of like masculinity marketing that happened that was very, very effective that was like you can be like the guys in the military you know that you know or you can you can be like a cop um and you know defend your castle
1: couch commando culture
3: exactly mm. and so and i think people are very susceptible to marketing um and you know for perhaps particularly around gender and masculinity and you know crap like that and uh <laughs> you know but i but i think i think if you actually look at the usability and the uh, the use of these weapons i mean they are not useful for they they just they they rip people to shreds they rip children to shreds and, you know, and they they rip animals to shreds yeah. if you're going to try to hunt with them. And so I, it's it's more of a status symbol and a sort of political statement than, you know, any of the stuff that any of these gun rights groups are claiming. You know,
2: I, you go, sorry, go ahead. No, I think it's just the advertising piece is huge, is a huge part of this, because included in this law is not only the ban of sales, but it's also allowing people the ability to sue gun manufacturers and sellers who uh, have these have these have these guns out there, uh if indeed it can be proven that it was a situation where their advertising went over the top things of this nature, these cases have happened in fact, the Sandy Hook survivors just won a, a not too long ago won a seventy three million dollar decision against Remington doing ex- with exactly the type of evidence that you're talking about. They brought up an old bushmaster ad, and it's it literally said. Get your man card reissued, you know. And there was a picture of an AR fifteen on there. So I, I don't know exactly. I do know exactly what that means. I know what they're selling there, and it just has turned into uh, a symbol of so many different uh, of so many different people who really, really say, "Don't take my guns ever." And and one of the saddest ones I saw was an ad for an AR Junior, meaning like have a gun just like your dad type thing. I mean, not live or anything like that, but it was a toy. And I, I don't know. I, I I'm wondering what. Something needs to change with this and i'm i I'm, I'm hoping that there that there can be some uh, i hope maybe this is going to come out in court some of these different pieces here that we can try to have a level headed discussion about it
1: two questions then we've talked about public opinion moving Washington state has been proposing this um, gun ban for a long time it finally happens. any chance of a tweaking of the second amendment in Congress, and number two if these, if another lawsuit, um, another ban, another regulation falls because it didn't work for the 18th century, then will people introduce, uh, try to legalize bazookas and flamethrowers that didn't exist in the 18th century? Anybody want to comment or should I move on?
4: I would just say, like, and in response to that, and also what um, everybody else was saying, is that, you know, um, it is a political problem. And You know, while all the stuff that Erica was saying about, you know, gun marketing and the kind of cultural resonance of these guns and et cetera, it's probably true. You know, I'm not sure that, you know, and it's going to resonate with our audience here, perhaps, in the greater Seattle area. I don't know how well that's going to play in Republic. And I think that ultimately these kinds of political problems may involve figuring out how you get this entire country to agree about sensible gun regulations. I mean, I'm from Canada originally, so I don't get any of this. But (laughs) I would just say, like, you you got to convince people in eastern Washington that there's some kind of reasonable gun regulations uh, possibly to to get anywhere. Not in this state. It's a blue state. I just mean symbolically, nationally, to get the Second Amendment changed. Obviously, that's kind of what you're going to have to do in a really divided country.
3: For sure. But I don't think, you know, um, I, you know, the good people of Republic. Um, aside, I keep You on keep on invoking. Them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you Beautiful.
2: know, Lauren Culp's going to show. It's where it. former
4: gu- gubernatorial candidate Lauren Culp is right. That's I mean, right.
3: I think I think if we you know, if we had a true you know majority rule in this country, um, which, you know, we obviously don't in Congress. But if we did, I mean, I think that there would be no question that these, you know, gun laws would be, you know, would be made more sensible. I mean, I don't think that, it, you know, anybody's taking guns away from anybody or, you know, banning guns altogether. But I do think that the popular opinion in this country is very much on the side of some sort of reasonable gun regulation. Well, that's right. why we
1: have a democratic republic to insulate us from the matting crowd. Mm. Um, we, uh, okay, so that's the, we're going to see what happens with the attack and defense of the Washington state Semi-automatic gun ban. Um, Another topic before we take a break on Week in Review. King County voters said yes to a new tax on property owners to pay for mental and behavioral health services. Erica, can you tell us who pays and what they're paying for?
3: yeah um all property owners in king county uh paid uh, will pay um, and they're going to be paying for a couple of things uh one is five different crisis centers um scattered throughout King County, not scattered, but one in each of five sort of sub areas of King County, including one in Seattle, one of those will be for kids um, and young adults under nineteen. Um, and then there's going to be a restoration of some mental health residential beds that have been lost over the years. So, um, so that's sort of the secondary purpose. And then the third purpose is to increase behavioral health providers' wages um, to some extent by, you know, essentially uh, giving more money to the providers to raise their employees' wages.
1: So could you give us a, an example, an illustration of what t- – How this is like an urgent care clinic, right? How would this most typically be used, this crisis care center's?
3: Yeah, there's a couple of ways. I mean, one is um, somebody could walk in. Um, Somebody who's experiencing a crisis could literally just walk in, be seen right then and uh, be stabilized, you know, in the course of 23 hours and then considered for like 14 days. Uh, residential inpatient, essentially, um, people could be brought there, and this is one of the controversial elements. Could be brought there by police officers, um, or you know, first responders who encounter someone in crisis, um, or by family members. So but they are essentially walk-in centers. Um, so as you said, it's just like uh, it's just like an emergency room for mental health.
2: Have you heard anything on the citing of these centers, Erica? Because no, that's always a huge a, issue. That's yeah. it's massive. I just think about what happened in Chinatown ID when they were just trying mm-hmm. to expand upon an existing homeless shelter. Uh, granted, a little bit of a different different duck there, but when we talk about just expanding a, a a place that was already there versus actually putting some of these new places in, and I will say, I, t- I talked to Council Member Zahalai about this. It's not necessarily it's going to be building a new building. It could actually be a situation where they take an existing building and turn it into one of these centers, but still, I, j- I just wonder what kind of process is going to go on with that.
3: Yeah, I mean, the... Uh- um, the county uh, in 2015 or 16, I always get the year wrong, um, you know, unanimously uh, panel unanimously adopted uh, plans to build safe consumption centers, right. um, you know, outside of Seattle and inside Seattle. And of course, none of them ever happened because they're too controversial to cite. And the city of Linwood, you know, just banned um, a methadone clinic and, and sort of put a moratorium on new treatment. So everybody says, you know, oh, we don't want to lock these people up. You know, we want them to get treatment. But the second you propose treatment, it becomes incredibly controversial because cities often don't want it anywhere near them. Yeah.
1: Well, they did have a chance to... What, what if the centers only went in the places that voted yes on this levy? Would they all be in Seattle? <laughs> uh,
4: yes. I have, I've got answers to that, actually. Uh, I was looking at election night results. Thanks to Ben Anderson, who uh, gave me some info here. Seattle night vote... So this is just election night vote. It could change. 70, 70% yes down at Enumclaw. I'm picking on Enumclaw and Republic today. Mm-hmm. 20% yes in rural parts of Enumclaw. Only 30% in Enumclaw. So there was... Um, some divisions there, and I was out talking to voters in Renton. It turns out Renton, forty-seven uh, percent. Federal Way, forty-five. Kent, forty-six percent. Yes. Uh, so, so a lot of Seattle votes. Some of these more diverse, more blue collar places south of Seattle, you know, a little bit less yes, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was talking to voters at a drive through Dropbox in Renton uh, uh, on the Friday before the election. So it was a little slow, actually. Um, And, you know, I was hearing from some people who were voting yes, saying this one guy was telling me about his adult son suffers from bipolar disorder, doesn't work. He was like, I remember when he was a kid, he was in crisis and people were like, sorry, there's nowhere for him to go, you know. And so uh, and, and others just saying, yeah, you know, um, this is a public good. We need to vote for it. But the people that were saying no were basically saying my my property taxes are too high. Yeah. Um, I don't know that they knew that it was only 10 bucks a month, you know, for the, the median is it? priced home. home. Yeah. But but still, you know, th- there's there's been other property taxes going up. I'm working class. And, you know, we do live in a state with a regressive tax system where there's no state income tax. And and uh, and so that that was an issue, it seems like, especially in some of these um, places south of Seattle.
1: And what is final uh, uh, question on this topic before we take a break? What's the next tax levy coming down the pike?
3: Yeah, the next tax levy, um, it, there's actually a couple coming this year. The next one is going to be the King County Veterans uh, Seniors and Human Services Levy, which pays for housing, uh, rent assistance, um, sort of caregiving, all kinds of things, human services for uh, for people in King County. Um, and so that um, last time I looked up the numbers and I, I don't have it right in front of me, but it passed by around 70 some percent uh, mm. countywide. wide. And the um, Regional Policy Committee of King County Council is meeting today to debate how large that levy should be, whether it should be a flat $0.10 per $1,000 as it is now, uh, which would cut uh, the amount of housing it can build actually in half, um, and it would cause them to cut services. Because
1: everything's gotten more expensive?
3: Everything's gotten – well, because – yes, because everything, particularly construction of housing, has gotten a lot more expensive – Um, And, you know, inflation in the last seven years has been out of control. So it would it would effectively mean a cut. Um, And so they're debating, you know, on this tax issue that David mentioned, you know, is it is it too onerous to, you know, raise it to 12 cents? I mean, that's basically the highest that they're even considering, which wouldn't be a replacement. Um, So that debate is is happening right now, and their county council is likely going to vote next week on that. Um, They have to do it by May 12th, so um, and that'll be on the ballot in August. And then, of course, the housing levy in November. Yeah,
2: the Seattle housing levy in November, which they're working on right now. The Finance and Housing Committee of the Seattle City Council is devoting its entire agenda to figuring out exactly what to do with that housing levy and where to set it. They're talking about some big, big numbers there. Could triple, I've I've heard, uh, so we'll see where that one goes.
1: And if you hear housing levy, you might think, didn't we just do like a social housing levy? We're going to talk about that. And then an alternative to housing would be shelter. That kind of blew up uh, in a way that Erica will tell us. We'll, We'll take a break and come right back with more of KUOW's Week in Review. Since you're listening to KUOW's Week in Review, you don't need YouTube and Facebook, but we're there. Some of you are with us online watching the show. Just search KUOW Public Radio. Um, Let us talk. We're playing the hits on Week in Review this week. We've done drugs, we've done guns. Let's do housing. (laughs) One of the ways we've tried to get people indoors is by using hotels. As shelters, they can get your own room and a door that locks and a bathroom. Erica, one hotel based program suddenly announced it was out of money and hundreds of families might have to be turned back onto the street. What happened?
3: Well, um, I, I will just uh, just to toot my own horn a tiny bit here. They didn't announce it, um, but oh, uh, but I story. but I've been reporting on it for the last couple of weeks, and um, yeah. So basically, um, there's a, a group called the Lived Experience Coalition, which is a group of homeless and formerly homeless advocates that um, now play a role in um, deciding policy for the Regional Homelessness Authority. They got a million, a little more over a million dollars to put people in hotels, and. We're doing that uh, kind of through the, the end of uh, through the last big freeze um, up until right now and uh, they ran out of money at the end of March and so there's been uh, there's been a scramble to figure out where people can go how to fund the hotels and um and and what to do about it but also um a lot of debate um at the regional homelessness authority about who's to blame i think the 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 homelessness authority would really like to say that the lec the lived experience coalition is solely to blame for this um along with its fiscal sponsor building changes i'm sorry i know this is a lot of different groups i'm naming but um the uh the homelessness authority uh which is a government entity um knew about these hotels back in at least by February and was putting people in them themselves. And so there's going to be an audit, an investigation. Um, and meanwhile, you know, we still have people living in these hotels, you know, maybe a 100 people um, who are trying to uh, – who, who the authority is now trying to find places for them to go. And then last thing, <laughs> um, this week um, I reported that the, um, the state – Actually, was able to bail out the homelessness authority. They allocated six million dollars to um, from underspent funding to essentially pay for these hotels through the end we of can do that. June. Like a they slush can, fund, they can just do that. I mean, it's not exactly a slush fund. It's it's money that the authority didn't spend on another purpose that's unrelated to this. And so they said, okay, you can take that money that would have ordinarily gone back to the state, and you can spend it on these hotels. Now, it's a lot of money. So I don't know if they're planning to spend all of it, or um, they they have not told me what their plan is yet. And they say they don't exactly know. Okay. But uh, but that's the 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 plan is to keep them in the hotels until they can find placements for them
2: and but not sustain it going into the future doesn't look like a long-term plan with these.
3: No, because the hotels are sort of just hotels. I mean, they're not um they're not really a program in the sense of like intensive, you know, case management the way that like um the Public Defender Association does. It's right. just, you know, it's hotels with some case management by LEC folks and then and now the LEC is out of it. So you know when you put people in hotel rooms and don't provide like a lot of services and start working to get them into housing or you know some other option right away it's you know they they're just sitting in hotels but
4: but better than other alternatives right
3: It is. Um, And a lot of the people that are in these hotels are people that, you know, uh, have severe problems. A lot of people uh, fleeing domestic violence, uh, families with children. Um, There's a number of amputees, Mm. people with severe drug addiction and mental health issues. Um, So, yeah, probably better to be inside. But I mean, that's not a sustainable model. These are just private hotels that are renting these rooms and the price of the rooms keeps going up.
1: So if I understood your reporting right, Erica, at its peak, this host hotel shelter program was spending more than a million a month to pay for about 250 hotel rooms. Correct. So that's $4,000 a month, right? Yeah. For that, shelter.
3: That that makes sense. And,
1: and that wasn't enough money even, apparently. So the listener might be wondering, is this just, this was underfunded or there was waste or there was... Fraud? or that, What's the lesson here?
3: Well, I don't think we know yet. Um, I mean, I, you know, big picture pulling back from the, the details that they're going to get to in the audit. I think the lesson is, you know, don't give money. Like the KCRHA is supposed to be an organization that— so consoli- King County Regional <laughs> Homelessness Authority. Yes. The Homelessness Authority is supposed to be the organization that consolidates all homeless services and is on top of everything— um, and so I think the lesson, you know, for me is not like, don't give money to this particular group or this particular group screwed up. Um, it's more, why wasn't the KCRHA on top of this? Um, because they should have known. And um, and so if I was them, I would be looking inward rather than outward to see what the failures were at this institutional level of this government agency that has more than 100 employees Um, As opposed to looking at this group of, you know, homeless and formerly homeless advocates and saying, you know, what did they do wrong and how can we dissociate ourselves from them, which is which I'm afraid is where this is going.
1: Mm. Okay, Um, then let's by the way, you got didn't you get a statement from. The governor and the county executive and Seattle's mayor all saying, "Not my fault." That was really interesting.
3: Yeah, I published the article and then I got this the statement, you know, that I didn't request. I had asked for comment from, I think, all not the governor, um, but I talked to, I asked for commerce comment from co- the commerce department. Didn't hear back, and then I got this joint statement after the article went up, which was which was really interesting.
1: <laughs> Since we're talking housing, and we were talking about a, a housing levy a moment ago. It's been a couple of months since Seattle voted to create a new public development authority to build and buy and manage public housing. Brian, do you have an update?
2: Yeah, we're talking about social housing here, and 57% of Seattleites said yes to this back in February. So as of this week, uh, the 13 members of the board, the governing board basically, that will oversee this PDA, the public development authority, they are in place now. They're going to start meeting next month. And when you talk about the speed of government, that's light speed to put together something like that. So I'm interested to see what happens there. The funding piece of this, I think, is still the big question. So we also learned this week, just after Sunday, that $200,000 to start up the Public Development Authority was gleaned from the state. So $200,000 is what they received. In terms of what the state was asking for, it was closer to $800,000. Representative Frank Chopp was leading this effort. Only got $200,000. So I think that's going to start things. For the public development authority here, but they definitely need some more dollars to bring on people like executives to run this uh, PDA. They need to bring. They need to make sure they have office space, things of this nature. So the city of Seattle is supposed to be working with this new public public development authority to make sure that they have what they need. They've got this two hundred thousand dollars, but basically this was a vote that happened. After the uh, budget uh, deliberations of last year, and so we're going to have to wait through this fall, from what I understand, for the Seattle City Council to make some decisions to see how they're going to at least fund this thing to start. In the future, it's supposed to pay for itself with rent, et cetera. But it's a bit of a rocky start to the say. People who can afford
1: more rent would be subsidizing people who That's can a piece afford of it, less yeah. rent, mm-hmm. right? I have a question
4: about that because Erica had written about that piece of it. Um, and the Seattle Times has said it doesn't pencil out, and Publicola said it does pencil out. Or there was a, there was uh, an Tell an me op- a little by, bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah
3: there, was an, there was an editorial by House Our Neighbors that said it, it, it will pencil out. I think nobody knows if it pencils out yet because there's nothing to pencil out. I mean, we haven't, we, none of this has been costed out. Um, we I, haven't I, even bought the pencil. I yeah, mean. exactly. Right. Wait, right. Good. Well put. I mean, yeah. so we we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, and and I think um, they also asked uh, the city for a supplemental uh, budget right. increase, and uh, the mayor Bruce Errol, said it. no way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, but $200,000 for the rest of the year. I think it'll get there. Yeah, will probably get them there as a start. start. And we'll see what the count. I just think it's
2: interesting to see it in the context of the housing levy that's going on, because there's so much talk about housing, the amount of money that the city of Seattle is already investing in its city budget in affordable housing, uh, close to $500 million over the next couple of years here. So I like seeing all these investments in terms of what we need here. But I do think it can get a little confusing for the average person out there. What am I voting for? And and how's this going to work?
4: Well, and and how is it different from other affordable housing, other social housing? Um, You know, I know I'm a politics reporter. And but if you ask me that question, I I might have a harder time than Erica would explain
2: that (laughs) or you or you I I think the the biggest difference front with it from what I understand, David, is that When you uh, A lot of these affordable housing units that are out there, they help out people who are at that 30 percent level or lower of the average median income. With this measure, with 135, that actually goes up to 120 percent of area median income. So they are trying to attract people of many different levels. And I got to say, housing is an issue for people of all income levels in this city. And I think this is at least partially a response to that.
3: Yeah, and I mean with the housing levy, you know, we we actually just build new housing. Um the uh the idea and it is as is is uh, Brian said it's um, it's mostly for very low income people. Um with this, you know, the idea is maybe they could buy some housing um and uh, and it's also that it would be, you know, subsidize that the that the people at 120% would be paying, you know, full market rent and that the people down at 30% or 0% or 50% would be paying less and it would all kind of work out but as you said we don't know if it pencils so is
4: that is here's, that similar to what we have in like sorry new horizons or those other uh oh sorry go ahead bill okay here's another
1: question <laughs> i don't know the answer to yeah okay. we're doing all this home building our leaders are densifying the city does that mean we are definitely going to lose a lot of trees are we no longer going to be the emerald city what's the color of new apartment buildings the burnt, the burnt orange city
2: well hopefully green but this okay. is something that the council's been working on this week big old, big old uh, public hearing on Monday, two hours plus long, talking about all these different issues. So they're working on a new tree ordinance. They haven't had, they haven't updated it in 15 years. And it's always just been political dynamite. Nobody's wanted to touch it because the people who are very much tree preservationists have some problems with it. The developers do too. And I think we're seeing that yet again uh, with this new iteration of it. I so talked are with we the-
1: going to densify and still save the trees? How is that possible? It- Erica, go. Well,
3: I just, I just want to bring a little bit of reality to this debate, as I always try to. Not that Brian, Brian, your summary is fine. I'll i just be over here. I, just, yeah. I just feel like, as you're saying, like the tree preservation, quote unquote, people um, want d- do not um, feel like the current tree ordinance protects trees enough, um, and they blame development. Now, I think that the actual thing that's going on is opposition to development, because, um, you know, or perhaps a misunderstanding of the facts, because most trees that have been removed or have died and not been replaced in Seattle are on Seattle-owned property in the parks. Almost half yeah. of the trees that have disappeared that are all, that are in this, this report that always gets cited about losing our tree canopy.
2: 255 acres, 111 of them were on city public land.
1: Right. But now that we're adding all these plexes is that going to change
3: well but we've been adding we've been adding plexes for a local you know for a long time i mean you know this if you look again at the report that is causing all this consternation it was only of all the trees that were lost 7% were due to or were, were were related to development not necessarily due to development in single family areas and another, you know, five or six percent in multifamily areas. So we're but that's talking not about, about to
1: zoom up with densifying.
3: Well, I, I mean, we can have a whole conversation about okay. that. I don't think that's going to result in a huge amount of new density. Okay. But, um, but you know, I mean, I, I just think that if we actually wanted to focus on trees, what we would do is we would start planting trees and require the city to replace the trees that die due to you know neglect, climate change, weather events, whatever, um, and the what trees do we do that they there? remove. Well, because that would cost the city money, and putting it all on developers and blaming developers is an easy way to say – and also because I don't think this is entirely about trees. I think this isn't partly about you know, protecting exclusive single-family neighborhoods because the trees that get the most attention are the ones in people's lawns, in private yards. Mm-hmm. And so you know, if we're going to focus entirely on that, it absolves the city – of like having a tree planting program that's really robust, and it puts it on developers to say, "You guys, if you want to remove trees, you have to pay for the city to plant trees somewhere else." Why isn't the city planting trees? Why isn't the city replacing trees in parks?
4: I I have two questions for you. One, can you sing the tree song? Mm. acapella from the uh, no.
3: I cannot. There's a hole in I've, the... Yeah, something where yeah. no, the... No, my, my brain murdered. is blocked. Yeah. tree
4: once lived. Yeah. Somebody's <laughs> making money. Yeah, there you go. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Uh. so you're saying like we could just, you know, uh kind of zone our trees to the parks, exclude our tree... No, have, have no not at all. park Completely. zoning.
3: The, I mean, Because I'm
4: hoping for that solution. I am severely allergic to trees.
3: Uh, <laughs> this
4: guy, uh, most this trees guy.
3: are in... Most trees are on public land. Yeah. So so it's not just parks. It's also the parking strips in front of your house. Right. Public um, Those land. are... Public public and so you know i mean i just i just think this, that it's it's very easy to say this is all the developers fault um but what would actually solve it is something that would be hard and expensive and we would have to take away from you know other things that we're spending money on um, to actually do this
1: would it, we pass a tree levy if it was put to a vote do you want to raise your taxes in <laughs> oh, seattle yes yes that yes. would pass like 85 yeah. 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 so there we go right yeah. people would king fund county it, right? maybe not
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. No, I I think it's I think you're very right, Erica. I just didn't see a lot in this ordinance or I don't see a lot in this ordinance. They're still talking about it, hoping to pass it with the full council in May. But I just didn't see a lot in there that incentivized tree planting or anything of that nature. I think that's missing. And uh, I'm imagining that some of the amendments that are flying around right now, there's more than 100. uh, Last time I checked. I hopefully would include some of that because in the people that I've talked to, and again, I'm talking to developers, I'm talking to people who are really wanting to save trees. Neither of them are very happy about what's coming out with this. Alex
3: Mm -hmm. Peterson, city council member, has an amendment that would raise the cost to remove on your own, in your own lawn, um, a tree that is six inches or larger. Um, by uh, from twenty eight hundred, which it is right now, about or which it is in the legislation right now, to four thousand. So, if you want to take out a tree, you'd have to pay four thousand dollars. So
2: you do it at night, mm.
3: right? I mean, there's that's tons good. of illegal well, tree and, removal and that's,
2: happening. That's, already. Been, yeah, that's what's trouble. been happening over yeah, the past couple of decades. It's been a very much a wild west situation. People cutting down trees and and not let anyone know about it.
1: Yep. Okay, should we can we smile? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> we have uh we got five minutes left in the show I, I I have an update on two weeks ago. in fact, you were here, Brian. okay. I told our listeners that our state legislature is making hotels phase out their little shampoo bottles because they 're too little to work in the recycling plants. They fall through the filters, and I was telling our panel that my family uses shampoo that doesn't come in a bottle. It's just like a bar of soap. Have you used the shampoo? shampoo. Yeah, it's a shampoo bar. It sits in your shower. (laughs) Mike, why are you shaking your head? I haven't even told you about the lather.
2: (laughs) Tell us about the lather.
1: You get your hair wet and you just rub like like soap. (laughs) In fact, what else could be done without the bottle? Like deodorant bars would cause an extra mess. What Fancy are we doing? doing? Oh, come on. We're we jumping off the rails. Here. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm okay. Saying. Maybe not deodorant bars. But what could we do? I got some emails, helpful emails from listeners. Number one, laundry detergent sheets, which I was already using. I'd totally forgotten about. Just use those. They're fine. Trust oh. me. They're fine. Number two, deodorant in a cardboard tube instead of plastic, which we bought, and it's fine. It's called Smarty Pits. Uh it is the version we got is expensive. It was like thirteen dollars for a stick because we it's at the little boutique store that where we can walk to and so we're kinda of supporting that business. That's a lot of money. But uh also finally, toothpaste pellets. My the toothpaste tube scene in my kids' bathroom is like Sweeney Todd mm. of you know, it's a just a wreck. And they so they just arrived. I haven't had a chance. Talked to my wife, she used them this morning, said they're great she sold no more toothpaste tubes uh, $15 for 60 pellets which is that's a month if you brush twice a day and so there's some ideas i'm updating you what i you... love
3: a shampoo bar love a shampoo have bar you, used... you the... use the oh, bar yes. it's so oh great my God. they're so wonderful
1: yep wow i'm
3: i'm
2: yeah, not on i board have a yet. whole
3: i have a whole like weekly routine that involves the shampoo bars. What
2: do you mean? I just she, have different... She washes I just her hair once a week. Different, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I have different
3: right. types of, of shampoo week. for <laughs> different <laughs> days. This
1: is such a different reception than I got two weeks I ago, know. as you, as you hey, heard. Mike, yeah, Mike Lewis, Davis. Davis? is that right? No, no Mike Davis. Davis. He wasn't Davis. having, right, he wasn't having right. it. Yeah. my it. Right. My son
4: just doesn't wash his hair. So it's not an Age issue. Age 16. It's an issue. not using plastic. It's <laughs> an issue, let me tell you, but that's what he does.
1: Okay, we got less than three minutes left. You were enjoying a survey, David, about...
4: Yes, a poll related to vegetarianism. I gave up meat kind of um, somewhat about a year ago. And so I was reading this poll, and they had a thought experiment. Um, and it, it was basically there, there's two boats, Bill. One boat has a pig in the, it. The other boat has a human in it. And you can only save one boat. Which boat would you save, if uh, the,
1: the Depends on which human's in it. No, the human boat. Right. You'd why say why the, are you asking?
4: The, because 7% of Americans said the pig.
3: What? 7% of Americans want to be special. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't always work out. So I was thinking about it. I thought maybe they had someone in mind. It was like it wasn't just a a random person. They were thinking, oh, a pig
1: versus. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was it. I don't know. That's a tough I one. was surprised that people were giving their reasons for being vegetarian or not. And some, a chunk of people consider the lifespan of the animal, which I had, had never occurred to me. That would argue for eating fruit flies, I think.
2: There's a cannibalism. There's a cannibalism discussion that's kind of part sure, of this, too. Sure. You never know. You never know.
1: Well, anything else to smile about? Yeah,
3: um, the Seattle Public Library is um, joining a, a program that was started in Brooklyn called Books Unbanned, which um, essentially gives a library card here to anybody, any teen in a place that uh, does not have access to books where books oh, are being banned, yeah. so they can read banned books, um, which I think is just awesome.
1: Subverting yeah. other states' laws. Yeah, Very that's cool.
3: great. That's what that's
2: we do. That's cool. <laughs> My my smile of the week. Uh, I went for a run outside before I came to the show. Haven't done that in at least six months or so. I, I can be a little dainty about that sometimes, mm-hmm. but uh, it felt glorious. I I just it it had to be done. I was huffing and puffing. Definitely full disclosure there, but definitely smiling at the end. Felt you want great. to
1: leave this studio right now, not Well, you? no.
2: I, I just kind of move around in my chair like this often. So.
1: Right. Well, you can borrow my uh, deodorant and a cardboard tube if you want. <laughs>
2: Can't wait. Can't that, wait.
1: That's Brian Callanan, Seattle Channel host and producer, Erica Barnett, Publicola co-founder and publisher, Kow politics reporter David Hyde. Great to see you all. Enjoy the sun. And thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Week in Review is produced by Kevin Kinistet. and we have social media and live streaming work from Juan Pablo Chiquiza and Teo Popescu. Bernard Wallet makes it sound great by running the board. I appreciate you listening, and I'm Bill Radke. I look forward to talking with you in a week. Oh, and uh, in your Week in Review feed, we I'm doing a series called Words in Review. We're going to take up assault weapons. Should they be called assault weapons and other? controversial journalistic labeling on words in review. So look for it in your week in review podcast sometime on Monday. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh
4: Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.